This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. From iHeartRadio and Doghouse Pictures, this is Fight Night. I'm Jeff Keating. Well, I'm going to lay down my burdens. Down by the riverside. Way down. When I first met Chicken Man back in 2003, he was actually Reverend Gordon Williams. He greeted me at his church and we had our first interview together. After a few years, we'd become close friends. We broke bread together. We watched movies together. We talked about our family together. And he ended up counseling my life as well. I also got to know his family. His wife, Dolores. His son, Gordon Williams Jr. And his two daughters, Camilla and Barjona. Here I am with Dolores as we talk about the first time she met Gordon Williams. I was working in the salon, doing what I do, first year, right? So Gordon came in and told the, the receptionist that he had an appointment with me. And so I heard him and I turned around and looked. I said, you know, like, and he, it, it was like he just felt me when I said that because I'm looking kind of strange at, at the time. I was trying not to do men's hair. You know, I was busy. And uh, but and then he turned. He said, yes, my appointment is with Dolores. He came and he sat. And I began to notice him, which was really strange for me because I was busy and guys come in all the time. and They try to be at you and all that. But I wouldn't really, you know, for all that at that particular time. But there were things that I began to notice about it. the way he was dressed. I mean, he it was just immaculate and he was uh, the colors were right and it, it wasn't too much. It was just enough. He was just he was just on it. That's all. So he told me what he wanted and I cut his hair. And it just so happened that now I got two assistants, but both of them were busy at the time when it was time for him to get his hair shampooed. So who was left to shampoo his hair but me? So I took him, you know, to shampoo bowl, and then I really could check him out with shoes and everything else, you know. And uh, and so when I finished with him, and he he 
you know, came back to the chair and he says, I really enjoyed my shampoo and everything. He says, I, I would love to make another appointment with you. I said, well, you can. When you get ready to go out the door, she'll take the appointment for you. you know, right back that. So uh, that's how we met. You know, he started asking me to go out to dinner and all that. But I, I resisted him for a long time because the fact that I knew he was with somebody, you know. And uh, so I didn't want to be get into all of that. But uh, he wouldn't. He wouldn't give up. Yeah, he he wouldn't give up on it. So tell me about the early years of Dolores and partying and your heyday. What was that like? <laughs> well, it was it was amazing. Uh, like I said, immediately uh, when I opened the salon, it was so popular, and so anybody was uh, to come to town. All of the new people they would want to come there, and. Um, so it was, we worked hard and we parted hard. So at what point, you know, when you guys are dating, like who starts to lean into, the, you know, Jesus and the Lord first? Is it you? Is it, are you doing it? it this? Me. Okay. You, it okay. So me. tell me about mm-hmm. kind of what led you down that path and then how you kind of pulled Gordon in with you. Okay. Well, you know, after, uh, after a while, I knew that he cared for me. I really did. I knew he cared for me. But he had all so much going on in his life. So he was going back and forth, you know, with his business and all that. But it got to the point where he would, when he was in town, he was going to make sure he came by the salon. And he finally convinced me to go out with him. And I did. And he was such a gentleman. I mean, he, he would make you love him. You know, he, he would really do that. He was free hearted. He was a gentleman and he would take it to the best of places. And, and uh, to see a man with uh, his capabilities and his personality and everything, you could easily fall in love with him. And so that's what happened. And then, then after we were together for a while, he came out here and bought me this house. And I've been in here ever since. You know, like the kids were saying, well, they came later, but we'd gone through quite a few things, the, the breaking up and, and with me getting saved and everything. You know, I got saved, changed my life. So now at some point you're married and you got two young girls. Yes. Okay, yes, gotcha. And so tell me a little bit about finally, you know, because again, this is a long process where Gordon realizes, hey, I, if I'm going to be with this lady and these two young girls, I got to give up this life. So tell That's me right. tell me how that happens. And like, were you around for the thing where he owed like hundreds yes. of thousands yes. of dollars? Yeah, that was yes, a scary I, time. I okay, so tell me, tell me. That's important because this is a story that he tells. And go- so, so tell me about what was going on and how you were feeling and how he was handling all that. Because that was, I mean, that's that's a close to death situation. Well, at this particular time, um, you know, it was still a thing of him, you know, going back and forth. He was working, you know, kind of work he was doing, and uh, uh, but it was just getting, you know, the, the people that he was dealing with. You could just tell that things were. And then I was able to see these things, you know, so I would be trying to warn him in advance, even though I wasn't with him all the time. But I said, you know, this and that and that. And this. So they anyway, anyway, they tricked him and uh, ended up putting him in a bad situation. So he was focusing a lot on getting that together, which was the righteous thing to do, you know. And uh, but at the meantime, he ended up he had a, a, a bullet that had been in his leg for a long time. And why this thing? When what this was that from? The war or from the streets? No, no, from the streets. He got shot. <laughs> so t- how did that happen? I think a friend of his or something. They were either together and they got somebody got mad and and he, but at the time they were you know doing what they do. 
and so he gets shot and he's got a bullet in his leg yeah got a bullet in his leg and he he went to the hospital for it but he wouldn't even stay there long enough for them to get it out okay you know he he just felt just left with it now this was before i met him yes i understand and and uh and so he left with the bullet in his leg and i guess he felt that he was all right so he never saw about it but at this particular time, when he's down there and he's under a lot of stress because they're trying to settle this thing, trying to find this pe- these people that stole all the stuff. And they ended up, uh, the bullet popped out of his leg. And, Is he bleeding? Uh, so, yes, he was bleeding. So he ended up in the hospital. Oh, my goodness. And when he went to the hospital, well, they, they, were, they kept him there and they cleaned him up and all that kind of stuff. But he stayed. So that's when he sent for me to come down there because of him. You know, and so I went and uh, when, you, when you say down there, do you mean to Miami? Yeah. OK, yeah. gotcha. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. But he came out and, you know, and it was just such a, a terrible time. You know, most of the time when you're in a life of crime, Dolores, it's very hard to get out. It is. When Gordon is dealing with a high level situation, a lot of money that he owes for drugs. That's just what it was. Yes, He's got somebody yes. that stole it from him. And, yes. and, and more importantly, they're giving him this ultimatum. And he talks about this. Bring me this guy's head in a paper bag and everything's OK. And Gordon yes. isn't a murderer. So he's like saying, That's hey, listen, right. exactly. I got it. So now yeah, he's got to clear got this debt. So he's got to sell more drugs to clear this debt. Yes. But normally after you do that, it's so hard to get out. So finally, he pays this debt. But how does he get out of this life? I'm so glad that you brought that to my memory. When we came home, then he began to, all the contacts or whatever he had to to get rid of stuff. This is what he began to do. So when, when he got the money, all that he needed to pay them, I remember I drove that road down with him. We rode down to Miami and um, he went, he met with them and he paid them. And uh, and they would say, oh, Gordon, yeah, this and that, you know, like they were so happy. Go, what else we can we can do? He turned around and and put his hand on his butt and say, you can kiss. <laughs> In other words, he was through. Yeah, he was through with it, and he he did not look back. So what you're telling me is, after he pays that off, and he's like, kiss my, you, you know what? He literally is be able to cut it all off. He did. Here I am with Gordon Williams Jr. as he talks about how his father's lifestyle affected him as he grew older. At the time, I'm taking his place. So I'm selling kilos like crazy. Sins of the father. Yeah, I'm I'm following in my dad's footsteps. Then I get busted in Henry County. And it's one of the largest drug busts in Henry County on record. Yeah. It was a guy who was driving for me. But he got caught with 29 kilos, and he told him it was mine. So they picked me up yeah. and charged me with conspiracy. So that was kind of like the catalyst for my dad because it, it really hurt him because now the feds got me. When the feds get you, the feds got you. I started off in Georgia Penitentiary. How long did you have to serve? Ten years, six months, and 21 days. That's a real deal right there. Yeah. 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 So that that really hurt my dad, you know, because I'm his, I'm his firstborn. Of course. You're the prince. And for me— to follow in his footsteps and to fall like that changed his whole world. And he came to court in my defense. I was sentenced on my birthday, September the 9th, 1995. Prior to that, he had stopped using. By the time you get to court, he's clean. He's clean. Yeah. He's clean. Yeah. The judge that sentenced me just happened to go to school with my mom. Okay. So he knows about you. So he knows about me. Yeah. Yeah, he knows about me. And he knows about my dad. Yeah. So... 
they asked, do anybody want to say anything before they pass sentencing? And my dad gets up and says, Your Honor, I'd like to speak on my son's behalf and tell you that he's not bad and he needs a second chance. And if you allow him the second chance, he'll do right by you. And he said, I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of the court to please don't sentence him. Because they were asking for a lot of time for me. They was yeah. asking for... 30 years? Tw- they was asking for 25 to life. 25 to life. Yeah. Yeah. He told my dad, well, Mr. Williams, go take everything in consideration. And I'm going to sentence your son underneath the guidelines. Because the guidelines are calling for 25 to life. I'm going to give him 15 years. And he gave me 15. I served 10 on it. I was in Atlanta waiting to, to move. And they had a prayer service down it for the inmates. And they say, anybody want to go to prayer service? I said, yeah, you know, I go. And when I went down to prayer service, guess who was there? Your father. My dad. He was running the outreach prison ministries for inmates. And when he saw me, because I didn't know he was coming, and I didn't know he was, you know, I didn't know he was going to be there. And when I went in, he, you know, he just he started crying. You know, he's like, golly, man. Then he started getting closer and closer to to the Lord and started, you know, started really confessing his sins and, and start, his life started changing. And then that's when he, he opened up the church, International Ministries 2000. Did he, did he ultimately get ordained? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an ordained minister. Yeah. He was an ordained minister when he died. Yeah. Uh, he went theologically, he went to Morehouse over there, and I was like, wow, what a turnaround from a drug dealer to a reverend. And he said, yeah, you know, I opened up my own church. I'm minister. I said, really? Okay, cool. When I got out, I got out August the 30th, 2006. 2006, yeah. So when I got out, I went to the church. So he wanted me to minister to the, the younger guys in the congregation because they didn't understand what it was like, you know, to, to be out here and selling drugs and doing wrong. And he said, you can give them a message that, they'll listen to because you've experienced it. Because my dad never did federal time. He never went to prison for as long as I did. So he said that I had something to offer. So, and I started, you know, I started uh, ministering to 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 the younger groups there. And it was strange seeing my dad transform like that. That was a really strange transformation I, I witnessed because prior to me leaving, he was, you know, I mean, chicken man, you know. He was, and when you came out, he was what? Reverend Williams. He was Reverend Williams when I came on. He had let that that old name die. I mean, but you can't get rid of it. I said, you're going to be chicken man for life. I don't care. I mean, that's what people are going to know you. And people, people was questioning whether his faith was real or not because they, they just didn't want to believe it because they knew him prior to meet this man afterwards. And he's talking about, worshiping God and praying and healing and it just it didn't set well with a lot of people a lot when, of did, people. when did you know that the transformation was real when him and Dolores stopped using drugs when they gave their life to Christ I knew it was real I knew it was real
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. I also stayed in touch with J.D. Hudson over the years, and I was shocked to learn about an incredible event that happened to him, but not surprised by the outcome. I connected with his daughter, Renee, as she told me about who J.D. was as a father and what it was like being the daughter of a policeman. The time that I was in high school, my father at that time was a school detective. School detective? What does that Uh mean? And where was that? Back then, all the schools had cops assigned to the school. So if they had problem kids or whatever, if there was some kind of ruckus going on or whatever, they were assigned to certain high schools. And my father was assigned to the high school that I went to. Do you (laughs) think... Okay, Renee, you think he did that for... Can you imagine that? Yeah, do you think he did that for a reason? I don't know. I think you did. I know your dad. Oh, God. It was just, you know, and everybody. So I didn't have a whole lot of friends. Of course not. You got this (laughs) cop that is... So now maybe some girlfriends that didn't want to, you know, that were, yeah, yeah was straight lace wear, but no guys are going to be like, no, trying to that's ask. true. That's true. Oh my goodness. That's so funny. Yeah. That is a, that is a JD move. If I've ever oh heard my one. God. Tell me a little bit about your father. What kind of dad was he? What do you remember about him growing up? What were some things that you remember of being the daughter of JD Hudson? I love my father. He, I thought he was a, he was a good dad. He was a hard worker. He worked a lot, you know, excellent provider. Oh, he loved holidays. He loved Christmas. His favorite color was blue. So I love Christmas too, but everything was blue. 
We had blue lights. We had a great blue breeze. We had blue bulbs. We had blue tinsel on the Christmas tree. And so I said, when I grow up, I'm never having anything blue because he loved blue. But he loved the holidays. He loved Christmas. He, uh, he loved wrapping gifts. He and my uncle, they would play with my brother's toys before my brother and I would wake up for Christmas. He would always take us on vacation. Back then, things were segregated. He loved to go to Jekyll Island, and there was a black side of Jekyll Island and a white side of Jekyll Island. We'd you know, drive through Florida. There were a lot of places we couldn't stop. I remember once we stopped somewhere, and we got gas, and the guy came out and called my father the N-word. And so my daddy told him, you siphon all this gas out of my car. That's when I kind of realized the world was not the same everywhere, you know, because I had been so insulated because in the area that I lived in, it was all black. He just always taught me to be kind to everyone, you know, not to hate. He wanted me to do well in school. I think he was a pretty nice dad. The only thing about being my father's daughter was that it prevented me from having a lot of friends. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't come over because my dad, you know, he started out being a cop, you know, and then when he was over the Bureau of Corrections, oh my God, you know. And so people shied away from me. It was different from my brother. Now, my brother, that was a different story. But for me, oh my goodness, you know. I just say, I love daddy, but golly, I wish he wasn't a cop. <laughs> Walk me through where you were or when you heard about when the guys tried to take the Cadillac from your dad's garage. I was in Conyers and I drove over here. And by the time I got here to the house, they had taken my father to the hospital. So then I drive to Grady. And I'm frantic. And I asked them, I'm trying to find the gentleman that got shot and was just brought in by the ambulance. And they said, there are two people that just got shot. I said, what are you talking about? She said, there are two people on whatever floor or in the emergency. They're side by side. You want the young man or the older man? And so I said, what do you mean there are two people? So I said, you need to tell the cops, if there are two people that got shot, more than likely that person that's sitting next, that's laying next to my dad is the person that shot him. They said, oh, ma'am. So I ran to my father and I said, oh, my God. And do you know the man that shot my daddy was right next door? And when he heard me telling the nurses, you need to find that guy because he shot my dad, he ran out of the hospital. Well, they caught the guy. You know that, right? Yeah. Okay. And then there was but two Daddy, guys. Uh, and, they, and they had a trial, but Daddy didn't tell me anything. Why? And they didn't go. Because I, I, I wanted to go, but they, I don't know. I don't know. And so by the time I found out, they had already had a trial. And did you know that there was two people that were shot? One was killed. Oh, uh, yeah. See, this is the mistake that Daddy made. Daddy was in his Cadillac. My brother believed it was an intentional hit on my dad. And so uh, daddy drove into the driveway and he made the cardinal mistake of not letting the garage door down. So he was sitting in the car with the radio on, smoking a cigar, 
And these two guys with masks, which is strange, came up one to the left and one to the right. Both cars were in the garage. And you've been over here before. So, you know, it's not that much space between the wall and the and the car parked and the other side because mama's car was on the right hand side and they pointed the gun at my dad. Oh, man, get out of the car. And daddy just happened to have his service revolver. You know how they have this little pocket on the door, on the left side of the door, on the driver's side. So that's when he pulled that gun up and he shot him. And then he got the car and shot the other one. And so then daddy, my mama had just come from abroad. Somebody had just dropped her off. She had just walked in the door and she was taking her clothes off. And she she heard the gunshot. She came to the door with her underwear on. He told her, get back in the house. And she, she closed the door and called the police, called 911. So the guy runs out, he uh, shoots one guy, and then one guy falls down. I think he died. He shot him, and he fell right before he got to Cascade Road. So he got as far as he could to Beach Trust and fell over on the ground. So I think that's the one that died. How was your dad's recovery? The gunshots, they didn't hit any organs, but I believe they poisoned him, his system. And I think that was the reason that daddy died. He was a tough man, your dad. Yeah, I think he, I think he got shot. I think he had four gunshots, three or four. I yeah. can't remember. He was definitely shot a few times. I remember that. Yeah. I still have the article. Any closing words you want to say about J.D. Hudson. I loved him dearly. Uh, I think he was an excellent role model. Um, it was wonderful being his daughter. Uh, he was a uh, very affectionate, kind man. Um, and every Christmas I think about him because he really, really loved Christmas. I didn't have a lot of boyfriends. I'm going to cry. But my daddy always gave me something for Valentine's Day. He always made sure I had a heart-shaped thing of candy, you know, and uh, just the little things like that. You know, he was just such a, he was a nice daddy. He was so affectionate and so thoughtful, and I just miss him. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home good sleep should come naturally and with the new natural hybrid mattress it can a collaboration between award-winning mattress brand lisa and home design favorite west elm the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies shared values premium materials meticulous craftsmanship and sustainable practices made with natural latex responsibly sourced natural wool and environmentally safe foams the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary indulge 
indulges your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Here I am with Gordon's oldest daughter, Camilla, as she reflects on who he was as a father. Growing up... With Gordon Williams as a father, I think one thing that sticks out to me is just the excitement of knowing when he was coming home. He had a signature whistle that he did. I can't whistle, but it always said, that was his way of letting us know that he was in the house. And I just remember anytime I heard that whistle, I just got so excited. He was very kind and loving. He trusted us in a weird way, you know, even as children to make good decisions. He had a way of guiding you without, you know, dictating. He wanted you to to learn and, and live your life, but he was always there to drop those jewels of wisdom. You know, one thing I always noticed that a lot of people always loved him too, um, that he was loved by a lot of people. You know, even when we were at gas stations or just random places that I didn't even know that people would know who he was. Um, somebody would come up and give him a handshake or a hug or just have something good to say about him. And what do you remember him in your early years being a reverend and his community and affiliation with the church? I remember him younger being more involved in like the prison ministry. I remember admiring his love for working with the prisoners. And I do remember like events they would have at the church at Salem and I remember one event in particular, like a bunch of prisoners were able to come to the church during the service. And I remember him, you know, being involved in that. And I was just thinking, wow, this is really dope, you know, um, for this to be happening. So things like that, I definitely admired with him in, in the church. He, he was, I, I didn't really hear him speak a lot growing up, but I just saw more of his actions being done. Tell me a little bit or some of the memories that you remember, either maybe between you and your dad or family members or a trip, but what's a one or two things that stands out? What sticks out with me um, was in his elder years when he was having bouts of like dementia. One of the things was I used to like to put him in the car and put on Isley Brothers for the love of you. And he would kind of just be present. You know, somehow it made him, if he was having issues remembering or, you know, sometimes that would really frustrate him. And he might be in a not one of his best moods because he wanted to be, you know, fully strong mentally and physically. But I remember when he would kind of just be able to sit back in the car and I remember just riding, asking where he want to go eat, what he feel like eating and, you know, being able to take him out to eat, roll the windows down and just put on some Osley Brothers and he would just be present 
you know, be there in the moment. And that brought me a lot of joy. And this is Gordon's youngest daughter, Barjona, with her insights on her father. He was just a really kind and uh, wise father. Like, I don't remember him yelling at me or being kind of a disciplinarian. It was more so if he wanted me to do something, he kind of just told me. (laughs) And he could, you know, he just had a way with words where he could make you understand what, what he meant pretty easily and make you want to follow it. And um, I remember towards the end of his life, he would just tell us the same things over and over and over again. Like he just would say, stay focused, stay focused. Every time I talk to him on the phone, every time I see him, he would say, but Jonah, stay focused. (laughs) And so things like that just resonated with me throughout my life, you know, as I go on my journey. Tell me about some memories you have of maybe a trip that you guys took or a family dinner or something um, that stands out? One of my best memories is just eating dinner. My dad was really big about us sitting down at the table as a family and eating together, which is something I don't necessarily always do with my family now, but my dad really valued that. So whether it didn't matter what we were eating, he just wanted us to sit down as a family. We would end up sitting at the table for hours, just talking, having conversation. And that gave us so much time to really get to know each other and, and keep up on what each other had going on throughout the day. So as far as back as you can remember, was your dad always a reverend or did he become a reverend at some point as you grew up? As far as I can remember, he was always involved in the church in some way. I remember him being a deacon. I think that's my earliest memory of him. He um, worked as a deacon, and he was the guy in the church that we would say always had all the keys. So, like, he drove the church van. He was just always involved in the church. And which church was that when you were growing up? Well, when we were growing up, we went to Salem, and— He was very involved there. He worked as a deacon, and then he also participated in the prison ministry. And then he also worked at a rehab house, like a drug rehab house off Bankhead that he headed up. So sometimes we would go to work with him there, and he did a lot of counseling um, with people in the community. So I always remember him being involved in the community and with the church and, you know, just trying to lend a helping hand to younger males, especially. And at what point, as you started to grow up, did you realize that your dad had a former life different than the one he was leading now as a hustler? I would say when I really found out, Jeff, was when I met you and You started bringing around like newspaper clippings and things like that. I mean, before then, I knew people called him Chicken Man, and I had heard kind of stories about his life, but I wasn't exactly sure um, that he was like a hustler (laughs) Um, until I got to high school and people started showing so much interest in his story. And that's when I started learning more. Honestly, I, I feel like I'm still learning a lot about who he was. And if you ask different people, you get a different response. And with me being like his last child, I was born so late in his life. I think the version of my dad that I got was like this homebody minister. So I was kind of shocked to know that he was involved in all these different enterprises, I would say, as a young man. 
What were some of the things that your dad talked about as growing up as a black man in Atlanta or some of the racial things that he dealt with growing up? Did he broach those subjects at all? My dad, he more so talked about race. And I think this is true of him and my mom from their own perspective. Like it was never more so about like how they were treated by white people. It was more so what their own reaction to it was. We just kind of knew you work for yourself. One thing that he told me is that he felt that Black people were better off before integration because they had a stronger sense of entrepreneurship and community. That's what he told me about race, but never really from the perspective that I should look out for any race over another, but just more so that if you're going to be a Black person in America, you have to stand up for what you believe in. And you have to really know your value in the workplace and not allow people to use you because you're bringing value to whatever you do. Did you ever see him give any sermons? Oh, yes, definitely. So what kind, so what kind of preacher was he? <laughs> My dad was the most laid back preacher, like almost too laid back. Like he was just, like I said, he just talked to you. He wasn't gonna yell at you he wasn't gonna hoop and holler he was gonna have an outline and give you some good tidbits and he might speak for 30 minutes but it's always gonna be like one thing you remember you know um but i remember at the end of each sermon he would always say and remember only what you do for christ will last more so than a preacher he was a counselor you know he was the type that after he gets off the pulpit, then everybody wants to go talk to him, you know, get advice from him, tell them about his day, you know, about their day. I would say just a kind and caring type of preacher, not not somebody who's going to condemn you for the things you did wrong, but more so understanding. And he would always just tell me, you know, people are just people. They're always going to disappoint you. You can't hold people to this high standard and expect them to be perfect. You'll always be disappointed. You just have to let people be who they are. So that's how he really operated as a minister as well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. To save a wretch like me When I found out that Gordon got Parkinson's, I was really bummed. I went to visit him at the VA hospital right near where my parents lived. He was weak but he gathered his strength to speak with me one last time. We shared a quiet moment of reflection, and I said my goodbyes. Here is his family, talking about the last days they were with him at the hospital. This is Camilla. I remember particular in his very last days is when I went to see him in the hospital, and I think this is the same day that he passed he passed that night but when I got there that morning I remember when I walked in you know just you could tell he was extremely weak but I remember I was holding his hand I had been reading to him and things like that and then he started to move a little bit in his face and I just remember looking thinking oh my god I think he's about to open his eyes and you could tell 
that it took a lot of effort, but he opened his eyes and it was just like for a second. But I remember I was smiling and all the nurses came in and they were so happy, you know, that he opened his eyes. And so that definitely sticks out to me. And he had a way of getting you to learn a lesson. And from that, I just always remember thinking I could do anything, you know, because he was so strong to even be on his deathbed and work so hard to be able to see me one more time. It let me know that I can't make excuses with life. I just got to persevere no matter what. And like he always told us to stay focused and keep moving forward, even in the last days, you know, you can still accomplish what it is you want to accomplish, even if that's just opening your eyes to see your family. And this is Barjona. Well, it seems like those years went by fast um, from when he was like diagnosed with Parkinson's to his health beginning to decline. When he got to the end of his life where he couldn't say much, even when I would call to talk to my mom on the phone, I could hear him in the background being like, stay focused. (laughs) So he was just trying to give us those last, you know, messages of who he wanted us to be and, you know, make that contribution to our life. And I really appreciate that at this age, you know, sometimes I wish he was still here, but I, I think he left us with so many, you know, nuggets of wisdom. And this is his wife, Dolores, talking about the last moments of his life. He was okay. You could see that he had peace in his heart. He had peace in his mind, you know, and he, in fact, he told me he was ready to go. I said, no, 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 I'm trying to, no, you're not, you're not ready to go. I said, you can't leave me. I said, you can't leave me with these girls. That's what I said. He told me, no, you, y'all going to be all right. Y'all going to be all right. He was really ready to go. And here is Gordon Williams Jr. as he was with his father at the end. When they had to put him on the respirator is when it really hit me that it was coming to an end. So uh, we all went to, um, because he died in South Fulton Hospital on Cleveland Avenue. So we all went there, and and when we got there, he was, uh, you know, they had him on the respirator and had him on the breathing machine and stuff like that. That uh, That was real difficult. That was real difficult looking at my dad like that. But I knew that I knew that the end was near. He motioned for me to come, you know, and I went over to his bedside, and uh, Dolores was on this side, and I was on that side, and I grabbed his hand, and he just he squeezed my hand, and he took his last breath, and that was it. That was uh, that was something else. He's a good man. He's a good man. I once was lost, but now I'm found blind, but now I see.
Fight Night is a joint production from iHeartRadio, Will Packer Media, and Doghouse Pictures in association with Psychopia Pictures. Produced and hosted by Jeff Keating. Executive producers are Will Packer, James Lopez, Kenny Burns, Dan Bush, Lars Jacobson, and Noel Brown. Supervising producer is Taylor Shacoin. Story editors are Noel Brown and Dan Bush. Written by Jeff Keating and Jim Roberts. Edited by Matt Owen. Mixing and sound design by Jeremiah Kulani Prescott. Music written and performed by the Diamond Street Players. Additional music by Ben Lovett. Audio archives courtesy of WSB News, Film, and Videotape Collection, Brown Media Archives, University of Georgia Libraries. Special thanks to Dr. Maurice Hobson and David Davis. Fight Night is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.